Today, churches around the world celebrate the first coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We call it the Incarnation. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, God himself, took on human form for the purpose of dying for the sins of mankind, and thus making a way by which sinful man can have relationship with holy God. The Incarnation reveals many things about who God is. And in previous weeks, uh, we have talked about how God revealed himself as the God who promises, the God who does the impossible, the God who encourages, the God who prepares, and the God who is sovereign. As we conclude our sermon series this morning, More Than a Manger, we want to take a look as the God who revealed himself as the God who loves. Now, this is not new to any one of us who have been coming to church often, We know that God loves us unconditionally, and He showed His great love for us by the sending of His Son, Jesus, and that is why we celebrate Christmas this morning. But how is that love expressed? And more importantly, what is our response to know of a God who reveals Himself as the one who loves us? Sometimes we think of love in a very shallow level, because that word is often misused. You know, we love God, but we also love pizza. And we love Jesus, but we also love our toys. So what is the level of love that God shows us in this great incarnation when God took on human form? One of my favorite stories that illustrates this type of love that God displays is found in Dave Simon's book. There, Dave records how he took Helen, his eight-year-old, and Brandon, his five-year-old, to a mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping in America. As they drove up to the mall, uh, they spotted an 18-wheeler with the big sign on front of it that said, Petting Zoo, and um, the kids in unison said to their dad, Daddy, 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 can we go, please, please, can we go, can we go to the Petting Zoo? Before he parked the car, Dave flipped them both 25 cents a quarter before walking into the department store. And the two kids bolted away as they went to the petting zoo. Uh, A petting zoo, if you're not familiar, consists of a a portable fence erected uh, about six inches of sawdust and hundreds of little furry baby animals of all kinds. And and kids pay money to stay in the enclosure uh, as they are able to pet these squirmy little critters while mom and dad are shopping. As Dave recounts, uh, he was in the mall when he realized a few minutes later that he saw Helen walking along behind him. Uh, He was shocked that Helen preferred to shop at the hardware store uh, rather than the petting zoo. And Dad realized something must be wrong, and so he bent down and asked little Helen, Helen, what's wrong? And those giant brown eyes looked at him and said sadly, Well, Daddy, the petting zoo costs 50 cents. And so I gave Brandon my 25-cent quarter. And then she said the most beautiful thing I ever heard. She repeated the family motto. You see, for the Simons family, the family motto is, Love is action. And she had given Brandon her quarter, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures more than Helen. My daughter watched both of us do and say love is action all throughout the years as they lived in our house. And she had heard and seen that love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle. It became a part of her. 
But that's not the end of the story. What would you do if I were to ask you as parents, what would you do? I'm sure most of us would give little Helen 50 cents and say, thank you for giving your brother your money. Here's 50 cents. Go enjoy the petting zoo. But as they would write, I did not do what most parents would do. I made her finish my errands with me as she wandered around the aisles of the hardware store. And then I took Helen to the petting zoo. And we stood outside by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy in the little enclosure feeding the animals. And there Helen and I stood there, she with her hands on her chin as she laid uh, her hands resting on the portable fence, just watching Brandon. And as they would write, I had 50 cents in my pocket, and it burned with every fiber of my body to take out those 50 cents and give it to Helen. But I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it. Because you see, she knows the whole family motto. It's not only that love is action, it is that love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefit accrues in someone else's account. Love is for you, it is not for me. Love gives, it does not grab. Love is sacrificial action, and that is exactly the type of love that God displayed on that first Christmas when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth in the humility of taking on human form, not to live but to die. When we talk about the love of God as displayed through his son, that is the type of love, a sacrificial love, that is displayed to each and every one of us. So what is it about God's sacrificial love that compels us to action? This morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me as we continue our study in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, as we take a look at a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 20. If you're new with us this morning or new to the Bible, the gospel of Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then we get to the gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, is what we'll take a look at this morning. As we talked about the birth of Jesus Christ last week, how God had prepared a very special room, we focus on the fact that there was no room, but there was room, and God prepared a very special room uh, in a stable, even with a makeshift baby bassinet in the form of a manger. While this was happening, look at verse 8 and verse 9. Now there were in the same country shepherds living in, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. When Jesus was born outside in one of the many fields surrounding Bethlehem, the Bible tells us an angel appeared to a group of shepherds. Notice what he says to them. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news. That good news will be a source of great joy, applicable for all people. Now, if you were in that group of shepherds that evening, if the angel were to appear to you, and announce to you that there is good news of great joy, what would immediately come to your mind? What for you this morning 
would be an announcement of good news of great joy. Well, for most of us, the good news that bring great joy is when we hear something that we like or we're being promised something that we want. Perhaps this morning, your parents announced to you through your gifts good news of great joy when you finally got that cell phone this morning that you've always craved for. Or later on this afternoon, when you open up your gifts after a Christmas lunch, you'll get that computer you've always wanted. Or for some of you, a prayer that your loved ones or yourself are healed of a sickness. Or with the college entrance exam results coming in these past few days, that the good news of great joy for you is that you got into the college of your dreams. Now for the shepherd... What do you think was the most exciting news for them in their current life? What would be a good news of great joy? Finally, the angel would announce that all the sheep would obey them. They would never run away. Or perhaps they are waiting with anticipation that the angel will now announce that they will all have healthy little sheep and they would have more of them. Or, even better, that they won the Bethlehem lottery and they don't have to be shepherds anymore. Wouldn't that be great? What is the good news that is going to excite them? A clue is found in that last phrase of that statement by the angel, which will be to whom? Not to the shepherds, to all people. What is the good news that will bring joy to all people? And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the overriding common factor among all people? And if you look at people of all types, of all sizes, of all ages, of all socioeconomic levels, the one common factor, unfortunately, is death. Every person in this world who is living and breathing will experience one thing in common. They will die. From the richest person to the poorest person, from the most noble to the most humble, from the most educated to the most uneducated, the one only common denominator is that they will die. And so what is the good news for all people that will bring everybody joy? It is the good news that one does not have to die. One does not have to die. You see, God revealed himself as the God who loves, number one, if you're taking notes, God loves. God exemplifies His love by bringing good news of great joy. And what is that news? That we will not die. You see, God revealed Himself as the God who loves. But more than that, He shows forth His love in sacrificial action by telling us a news that encompasses all types of people, a good news that will bring great joy, one shall not die. That is why I can say very confidently that God loves all people. You see, some people question whether God loves them if God allows them to undergo suffering. Or if God doesn't answer their prayers according to their will, they question, does God really love me? Or God somehow does not live up to their standards of how they expect God to operate. But I can say, and we can say, through the scriptures, that God loves every person because he has shown this love by bringing them the greatest news of greatest joy that it will benefit everyone, which is that 
they will have eternal life, salvation through Jesus. But you know, that message of good news has no power and no meaning if it doesn't come with it the work to back it up. That message can be anything unless the work is done. You see, I can come up to you and shake your hands at the end of this service and with the biggest smile and with the warmest of personalities and with lots of energy and excitement, I can tell you, I'm going to give you a billion pesos. I'm going to heal you of whatever disease you have. I'm going to give you a house and a car, not a matchbox car, but a real one you can drive in. I can say that with the greatest of warmth, the most sincere tone of my voice. But the sad part is I don't have the capacity to give those things to you. You see, the messenger of the good news is not important if the message is not true. And that's where we see the second aspect of the revelation of the God of love. Look at verse 11 and 12. Look what Luke writes. For there is born to you. Now remember, the angel just gave them good news of great joy. He's got to back it up. How is he going to back up that they will not have to die? There it is, verse 11. For there is born, note this, to the object, to you, this day, in the city of David, a what? Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The good news of great joy for all people is that there is a Savior. A Savior who is Jesus Christ. The Savior is one who saves. You see, Jesus revealed in the incarnation that He is a God of love. And number two, if you're taking notes... That God loves, how does he show forth his love? God loves by providing a Savior. God loves by providing a Savior. That is what people of all backgrounds need. They need a Savior. The message is backed up by truth. You see, when you really love someone as God loves us, you give them something that they need, not something that they want, or not something that you don't want. Now, please do not raise your hand. I don't need guilty confessions this morning. How many of you have re-gifted this year, right? You've taken a gift that you received or a gift from last year, and you gave it to someone else. Again, please do not raise your hand. I don't need to know. You didn't want something, but you needed to give someone something out of a sense of obligation. So guess what? You gave them something as you looked through your pile of gifts, something that you wanted? Of course not. You give them something that you didn't want. Is that true? You guys are nodding your head. I know. I know. Why? What is the motivation? The motivation is I have to give them something, but I really don't like them. Or, you know, they're just my acquaintances. They're not really close friends. Or they gave me something, so I'm obligated to give them something back. But if you really love someone, you give them something that they need. Not something you don't need or something that they want. And God showed us His immense love, unconditional love, by giving us something we all needed, and that was a Savior. 
someone to save us. The angel proclaimed to the shepherds, unto you is born this day, because it is you who needs this. Let me ask you this question. What if God gave us what we wanted and not what we needed? Did you ever think about that question? If God gave us everything we wanted but not what we needed, you know what would be the result? The result is we would have lots of money and lots of nice toys and lots of electronic gadgets, but we would all die. That's the truth. If I gave my kids everything they wanted, not what they needed, they would die. They'd have a lot of gadgets, but they wouldn't have food and shelter to sustain them. I hope you see my point. You know, we question the love of God. We question the love of God when He doesn't give us a job or the job we want. We question the love of God when He has not brought into our life a spouse or a child. We question the love of God when He doesn't provide for our wants and when He doesn't give us the money that we think we deserve or the promotion that we should get. He, quote-unquote, in our minds, only gave us a Savior. He only gave us a Savior. That's not what I wanted. I, I, I got it already. I got it 20 years ago when I raised my hands in chapel. When you love someone, you give them something they need not something what they want. Because if you give them what they want, not what they need, they will die. And the angel told the shepherds, I'm sure every shepherd was excited. Do I get a bigger flock of sheep? Did I win the Bethlehem lottery? Can I get out of this stinking job? And the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God loved them by providing for their needs, which is the provision of a Savior. And that's why I can say unequivocally this morning, God loves you. God loves each and every one of you. You may not have received what you wanted, but you have been given what you need. And you've been given this Christmas a reminder that He came as a babe of Bethlehem, to save us. And so we see that the angel gave directions to find the only baby in Bethlehem that night in a stable, lying in a manger. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. The angelic choir comes out and they spoke words of praise to God and announced the blessing on mankind. And what is that blessing? Let there be peace among all people with whom he is pleased with. And that's all of us. Let there be peace. Let peace reign. You see, God's love is seen, number three, in his extension of peace. God's love is seen in his gift of peace for mankind. Well, you may question how much God loves you because you look in your family's life. You look in the world around you in which you live and you say, but there's no peace. There's only war. How can I give thanks? 
even thanks for peace in the midst of such crazy ongoings in my life and around this world. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, what is your definition of peace? For most all of us, the definition of peace is the absence of problem. Can we thank God for peace? No, because our definition of peace is the absence of problems, and I have lots of problems. In the same way, can we give thanks for everything as the Bible tells us? And we look at our lives and all the things that happen, and we say, how can we do so? I recently received a letter from Leighton Ford, and he shared with some of us uh, how his past American Thanksgiving went. Let me just read a little excerpt from his email. Leighton Ford asked his family this past Thanksgiving, here's a question as he gathered them around the table, and he asked them, in, in the Bible, Paul says we should give thanks in everything. He even says that's the will of God for us. But was he kidding? Paul was facing torture in jail. He wasn't very realistic, was he? How can we give thanks in everything when some things are very hard and often seem very bad? And so in that dinner conversation, they tossed around that question and finally agreed. Paul, we can't always be thankful for everything. We can find something to be thankful for in everything. Now, we can't be thankful for everything, but we can find something to be thankful for in everything. And as that question lingered in the mind of Lakin Ford, he says, that week I asked our friend Mary how she could be thankful when tests showed her cancer had returned and she may need more treatment. After a moment, she quietly said, it's hard to be thankful in that. But you know what? I'm thankful for my husband, Tom. He's with me, has my back, and helps me to talk through all the options. I'm thankful for all the friends, my little angels, who support me. Leighton writes, last Monday, a pastor friend called. He had just preached at the funeral for the wife of one of his best friends. I asked him the same question. Hmm, he said, that will be my question for this week. Then after a pause, he said, I am thankful that I have a friend, a brother in ministry, to care for. Finding thanks in everything is not easy. Fear actually narrows our field of vision, both physically and emotionally. Deep loss makes the bottom drop out. But giving thanks is hard. And giving thanks in hard things is not looking for a silver lining. We don't always have to see a silver lining. It takes shape. It takes a longer, wider, deeper view, an opening of our heart to both pain and hope. It's not simply saying everything happens for a purpose. It is the faith that God can bring good even out of the worst thing to realize that may take a very long time and for some things beyond time into eternity. You see, for our family, Thanksgiving is a bittersweet time. It is the day after Thanksgiving, 35 years ago, Leighton writes, that our 21-year-old Sandy died during surgery to correct a runaway heart. Could we give thanks that he died that day? Not at all. But we learned to be thankful for the 21 years we had with him. For the bright and shining light he was and still is to his friend. 
for the vision He inspired in us to provide scholarship and mentoring to emerging young leaders. And I this morning am one of the recipients of Sandy Ford's legacy. You see, peace is not the absence of problems, but it is the presence of Christ. It is the presence of Christ in your midst. That is how you can give thanks for the peace that God gives into your lives, even though things may not be going your way. It is knowing that God is with you even in the troubled times. And that is why the angels can proclaim peace upon earth. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, is with mankind. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth a blessing of peace towards those whom God loves. I have a lot of problems, surely as everyone does. But I sleep well at night knowing that peace has been given to me as it has been given to you. You remember the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 14, verse 27. What does Jesus leave with us? John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And here's that verse we often memorize, but we truncated the first part. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That is how the love of God is shown by extending peace. The assurance that He is with us. Not the absence of problems this Christmas, but the assurance that He is with us. The incarnation is God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That he stands by us in all that we go through. That's the same way we gauge love amongst our friends and our family, right? If a friend or a family member tells us they love us, we test that love if they stand by us when we are going through problems. In the same way the Bible tells us there is one who never leaves us nor forsakes us, and his name is Jesus, and he has come on Christmas to extend peace by being with us through our troubled times. And so we acknowledge the God, the God whose love has been revealed through His peace. And if God has revealed so clearly that He is a God of love and the incarnation, what is our response? Very quickly, three things. Verse 15 and 16. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. You see, when we acknowledge and recognize that God has revealed Himself as the God of love, then we should seek Him. Our first response is to seek Him, to grow closer to Him, to want to seek Him. I want you to understand, if you're reading the Bible very clearly, did the angels ever instruct the shepherds to go find Jesus? Did they? It's not there. He just told them where they could find him, but the angels never forced them to go. 
But when they recognize that the good news of great joy to all people, not that they won the lottery or that they'll have more sheep, but that the shepherd had been given a Savior, they could not wait to seek him. The more you realize God loves you, the more you should and would seek him. Because let me tell you this, if there are two people and we're asked to run to one of them, and one person hates you and one person loves you, common knowledge dictates we run to the one who loves us, right? And so God has revealed himself as the God who loves us. Naturally, the natural inclination is that we are to run to him to seek him. The more you realize God loves you, the more you should seek him. Our response this Christmas is to seek him. And as I mentioned last night, a change of heart or else this Christmas means nothing. Seek him with your heart. Change your life's priorities that you will seek the one who loves you. Do not seek the world because the Bible tells us the world's peace is not the same that Jesus gives. The world offers you something that is false. The world will chew you up and spit you out. So do you run to the one who will do that or do you run to the one who loves you? We seek him. The second response, verse 17 and 18. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. When you hear great news, do you tell others, I hope so. You see, the second response to another Christmas come and gone is that we should with greater fervor tell others. A response when we know that God has revealed himself as the God who loves, we should be jumping up and down telling the world there is a God who loves us and he does not demand from us work for our salvation because he did it on the cross in totality. Tell others. Tell others when you know that you are loved. It's one of the beautiful things about social media. If you can proclaim it on social media, usually it means it is true. Did a wedding last week, and um, it was a wedding of two of my former students who are members of this church. And I mentioned during the exhortation, uh, I remember that the groom... Uh, was a CAT Corps commander. And uh, I, throughout high school, remembered him as one who was very gruff, very tough, always yelling orders uh, as he was the Corps commander. And uh, he was part of our children's ministry program. I was a teacher for many years, and I think he carried a bit of that Corps commander training uh, to teaching our kids because there have been times I've heard him uh, yells some very strong commands. He married uh, a girl uh, who was in my class very, very quiet, uh, a good girl, a sweet girl, uh, rarely raised her hand in class, rarely spoke. And uh, when I first came to an understanding that uh, they were interested, one to each other, I had a bit of doubt in my mind uh, how that personality, their, their personalities would, would work together. But as I mentioned in their wedding, and I mentioned this morning, how I knew that they were marrying the right people. 
was when I began to observe on their social media feed, especially the guy's proclamation of sweet tenderness uh, for his girlfriend. Words that I had never thought in my mind he would be able to write uh, being someone that I had known. And I knew he is smitten by her. He is in love. He is telling the world that he can say very gooey, cheesy things. And I think about that, it brings a smile to my laugh, uh, to my face. This is a wonderful couple. I like them very much. But so it is when we are told, or at least we should know, or at least we proclaim that God is a God who loves us. And if God has revealed himself as a God who loves, why do we keep so quiet about it? Look what the shepherds did. They made it widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. I want you to notice verse 18. You can tell a story very differently. You can come up to a person and say, Jesus loves you. He loves you very, very much. Or you can come across someone and say, you know Jesus loves you? Let me tell you how he's loved you and how he loves me. And the reason I believe they who heard it marveled at those things, that the Bible says, is because these shepherds told it with excitement. Here is a God who has revealed himself as one who loves us and has come to be our Savior. Tell others. The third response, finally, verse 19 and 20. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. When you see what happens next, you see that both Mary and the shepherds processed and thought about what had happened. They meditated, they process they thought about the love of god and that's our third response when god has revealed himself as a god of love we should ponder we should think we should meditate there's a wonderful song we've sing it at this church think about his love how often do we think about it it is not a statement of fact it is a statement of truth which elicits from us a desire to think and to meditate and to process and to tell one another how God's love is reflected in our lives. Christmas is a wonderful opportunity as we sing songs about God's love and as we celebrate in family dinners. What a wonderful thing it would be this afternoon as you celebrate with a Christmas lunch. Just go around the table and just go around and and have everyone share 10 seconds, 15 seconds, even the little kids, how God's love has been seen in their life this year. It could, be a, it could have been a turbulent year. It could have been a terrible year. But remember, the peace of God is with us. It can't be that bad when there's a God who has shown himself loving. That would be a great activity for you this afternoon. Go back and think. 
that's a response. That's an appropriate response to process and to think. Mary kept these things and pondered them in their heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. They thought about what they'd heard and seen as it was told them. When you think about the love of God, it must put a smile to your face as it does mine. It must change the way you think, the way you act, the way you process things. You see, it is not Valentine's Day that reminds us of love. Is there a holiday? Is there an act of love? Yes, Christmas and Easter. And Christmas begins the reminder of God's love. It is a celebration of God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ. It ends with Easter. May this Christmas time be for you and your family a time for the greater understanding of who God is as He has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And for you and your family, the greater appreciation for the God who has revealed Himself as the God of love. Have a Merry Christmas. God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a reminder even to me that the expression of your sacrificial love through your Son, Jesus Christ, demands in our life a response. May we seek you with greater fervor. May we tell others with greater excitement. May we step back to think about all of the evidences of your love in our life. You provided us not in our wants, but in our needs, and a Savior who gives to us all that we really need one who stands beside us to give us a peace that passes all understanding. And for that, we celebrate and thank you. May each person here this morning experience what a truly Merry Christmas it is because the Savior has come and he has declared through his life the love of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.